Amateur Skeptics Podcast, show number five. With me tonight are two distinguished gentlemen. In the left, well, in the left corner, I have Sean Smith. Four. Put me in, champ. I'm ready. That's right. In the right corner, I have Ian Brazy Smith Cannon. I added the Smith. <laughs> okay. But did I get the now, Brazy what, right? What right? distinguished gentleman you talking about? Are we having some extra guests on the show? No, no, no. no. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I and am. In the center ring, you know what? we have Brian Heinister, and we got him a really big hat this week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, 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 I, I, I have been visited by some, some um, ghosts from the 18th century, and, and I think he was a distinguished gentleman. So I think that uh, he counts, and he's here with me this evening. Cool. Of course, nobody can talk to him or see him, but I know he's here. We'll take your word for it. Okay, good. <laughs> that sounds anecdotal because, to me. Because we're skeptics, so, so you'll just take my word for it. All right, should, should we move on after that moment of silence? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I think we've got some good articles tonight. We're going to be talking about um, old sea dogs. We're going to talk about how the human brain or the human male brain is it differs from the female brain and why uh, this justifies our sexual lust. We will be uh, talking about uh, asteroids, how it, they killed the dinosaur. Um, we'll also, we've got a bunch of other stuff here. Um, you know, robots eating corpses. We've got, uh, cars fueled on, uh, on coffee, which is quite appealing. Um, uh, we're also got, uh, we've got some wonderful eBay items that we want to, that we want to talk about and, and, uh, hopefully, you know, purchase. I think that these would be good purchases for any of our listeners. And, uh, we're also going to, you know, we, we have some things to thank God for this evening. And uh, so, and we have a couple of. We've got a big can of worms. <laughs> we got all sorts of stuff. I think, we, but uh, I think we're going to start here with uh, old sea dog sets. What tons? Tons of wagging Ed Crofts. Okay, tell me uh, about. Basically, it. basically, this article was about the fact that they had recovered um, a ship that was sunk in 1545 called the Mary Rose, and. One of the items that they found on that ship when they recovered it was the remains of the ship's dog that was there to hunt rats and basically keep rats off the ship. And they inferred from the fact that there were very few rat skeletons found on board the ship that the dog was pretty good at her job. But it's being displayed right now, or when the article's written, it was being displayed at a dog show before it was to travel to the museum for the Mary Rose. All right. So let me ask you this, though. If the dog was eating the rat... You you got to figure that there was probably some bones in the feces, right? Some, but some bones will be will be uh, some bones will be consumed. Okay, so. so let me ask you this: Do we have the poop? <laughs> I'm gonna guess probably not. Mm. Yeah, I, d- I doubt seawater is good for preserving that. So it's just as logical for me to say that there might not have been any rats on this particular ship, or it's logical to say that the rats deserted the ship when it was sinking because that is proverbial oh there you go rats do desert a sinking ship i'm just saying i don't i want the poop <laughs> okay well, we don't even know that about you brian well uh, hey you know what it, i want i want i want the loch ness monster poop okay and i want and, and, and i also want you know some bigfoot poop does, does, i'll supply does, i'll supply the feces i want to know how you're going to authenticate it <laughs> <laughs> and does jit know about this new hobby of yours <laughs> well no i i haven't exactly shared it um, for reasons we'll get to later because the whole male brain thing yep anyway um the article about the old sea dog from the mary rose led me to other information about the mary rose that was actually to me even more personally fascinating 
um, they actually made a salvage attempt on the ship within months after it sank using salvage experts from Venice. They attached the ship or what they could reach of the ship to empty hulls, which were um, you know on the surface at low tide. They tightened up the ropes, and when the tide was supposed was to lift, the Mary Rose should have lifted from the seabed, from the seabed, and they were going to float it into shore and repeat the process of the next low tide, the next low tide. But unfortunately, since they were not able to get their lines under the hull of the ship, they were only able to get their lines into the rigging. All they were able to salvage at that time were essentially they pulled the rigging off the ship. And it was not until modern times that they were actually able to salvage the hull. But that hull is going to be in the Mary Rose Museum when the expansion is done in 2012. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty clever way to for them to try to get this ship off of, off of the seabed there. I thought there. so. Yeah. The uh, prevailing theory about the ship's sinking seems to be that the ship was loaded with so much ordnance that its gun ports were only about three feet above the waves. This seems dangerous. Oh, it's extraordinarily yeah. dangerous. <laughs> So I mean, is there they don't is is there pictures of the ship or anything that we can see? Uh, there are some there are some pictures of items from the ship on the Wikipedia, and I believe there's also um, I believe there's also some pictures artist constructions conceptions of what the ship looks like. Uh, there is a picture of the remnants of the hull undergoing conservation, and okay, uh, looks like a painting of the embarkation of the ship. The ship was in military service for 30 years before it sank, and it was actually the very favorite ship of Henry VII, which is why they expended so many efforts toward salvaging it. This must be a fairly big facility that they've got this housed in. Oh, yes. Well, it looks like it's actually a dry dock where they'd be repairing all types of ships. Okay, sure. That's pretty neat. Now there's some pictures of the guns and stuff. That's pretty neat. I like that. A A lot of different cannons, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, they, they basically had different examples of ordnance from all the different periods the ship had been in battle. Okay. And they were still on board the ship when it sank, which is, again, which adds to that theory that it was just so overloaded that it it couldn't have uh, couldn't have remained, remained afloat. Oh, so it wasn't actually um, taken down by anything. It just probably the waves got it because they exactly. just had too much on it. It was not taken down in battle. It was not taken down by a mistake. Uh, the prevailing theory is that it was just so overloaded that... When the waves got in through the gun ports, it just foundered. Okay, very cool. All right. All right, Ian. Okay. Tell me why my brain is so different from a woman's brain. Yes, on to probably the most important article we've ever had here. This article, you know, women need to read this article. Actually, it's an interview about a book, but still, they need to read it because this is what women need to know about men. So so you're not going to find – I mean, this is good stuff, so you probably won't find it in Cosmo. So you're going to have to point them to it. I doubt it. But anyways, um, the, the main thing I liked about it, it, it what it is is it's this couple that have written some books, and I guess the latest um, she wrote – no, this couple spoke to the doctor that wrote it. That's what it is. Okay. Real-life couple speaking with the doctor that wrote it. And um, the book is called The Male Brain, A Breakthrough Understanding of How Men and Boys Think. And basically it gets into what our men brains actually do. And one of the things it talks about is how um, the hypothalamus, hypothalamus associated with sexual pursuit. Hypothalamus. Hypothalamus. Is it hypothalamus? Okay. I think so. This is basically the area of the brain that has to do with sex, you know, the sex drivable, is 2.5 times larger in the male brain than the female. And then, of course, beyond that, um, 
we run on testosterone. And between the ages of 9 and 15, that increases 200 to 250%. So basically, the, mid, uh, the average male's brain is set up to want sex. Okay. That's why we think about it constantly. That's why when we see hot women walk by, we stare. That's why you know, we can't help it. You know, we are wired that way. We're stuck with it. And it's important for women to know, during orgasm, males release huge amounts of oxytocin into their brain. And this is a very, this, and it is very mellowing and sedating. It's almost like taking sleeping pills. This is why we fall asleep. It's not because we don't want to talk. It's because of a chemical reaction. We need to sleep at this point, okay? We can't help it. But no, this is just, if you read through the interview, it's actually very, you know, very good just talking about this is what, you know, men are wired like. It's not that we necessarily are trying to be this way. We just are. Okay. And, and this is all fun and all, but here's what I want to know. I mean, it, it talks about, it looks like it has some science. Is there any clinical evidence to support this? Have there been actual studies done or is this just this doctor's opinion? Well, I, I haven't read the book, but I'm guessing she probably has done some. You know, there's a whole book on it. I mean, is there some uh, is there some peer-reviewed documentation to back this up? I mean, not the, that it matters in a study like this. We'll take this one on face value because it supports our our bias, right? It also fits with more or less what we know, even without you know. Okay, but he, for for us, I mean, really, there needs to be some data behind it. And I would hope that the, that it's in the book and that there's some peer-reviewed yeah. research to back this up and that she didn't just well, choose to write a book. Well, I heard the oxytocin thing before. That one, Have I you? think, has been around for okay. a while now. All right. It may be. But our brains being more wired for sex does make sense. So, you know. Well, but the, the problem are, is, is that it, it also kind of – it does kind of – Stroke our bias, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, so that so that's why the problem. That's why I'm asking: Do is is there clinical data to back it up? Because you know, it's not listed here. Okay. But once more, you know, this just mentioned tell, talks about the book itself. Okay. And her findings. The book the, itself uh, has uh, information on that. So. Okay. The important parts of that that I took away were sex, orgasm, and hot women. Was there something else aside from that? No, I think you got it. I think you, I think you pretty much got it. Well, and sleeping. No. Seriously, though, actually, I, the, when I read that about the, the oxytocin being released into the brain, one of the things that I wondered if that is if that was an evolved characteristic that essentially numbed down the natural aggressiveness of early man that's just not, not evolved out. Wait. So are you saying if we can't fuck it, we'll kill it? I'm saying that. <laughs> and I think there's ample proof. All right. <laughs> Now, admittedly, you know, I, I, I think men do find sex to be a great stress relief. I know I do. So, you know, there's definitely a huge logic to that. Okay. I, yeah. In, in this, in and uh, it may all work out. I, I just, you know, is it, is, it, is it supported by actual evidence? Because a lot of times you get so much of this stuff that isn't, that there's no evidence to back it up, that it's just this person's opinion based on anecdotal evidence. Uh, here's something interesting a little bit further down on the article. It talks about what they're referring to as the mature brain, which develops in a man's 50s. Um, <laughs> we're not there yes, yet. Well, it, yes, it takes us till the age of 50 to be mature, so live with it. Anyway, um, seriously, though, it's talking about hormonal changes in the brain, and the brain is producing – the body and brain are actually making more estrogen. So it balances out the testosterone, and we're – 
we would we would naturally become less aggressive and more sedate in pursuits. And also old and crotchety. <laughs> yes. I'm also convinced that that, uh, that production of estrogen may be the thing that gives us the power to assess another driver's <laughs> skills and personality and possible ancestry based upon watching him drive for 30 seconds. <laughs> this is a power my father has. This is a power I developed in his, in, you know, it's the power I developed in his path. Okay. All right. Uh, well, it's fun. All right. Let's talk about vitamin D. Why do why Let's do I talk need sunshine? Vitamin D. Well, the interesting thing here is that it's talking about how overprotecting um, ourselves from the sun as a possible cause of skin cancer actually may be harmful to us. You know, with just about everything, we need we actually do need to get out in the sun and get the vitamin D that's um, produced by getting sunlight because there is a health issue to it. That that form of vitamin D is actually healthy for us, and we need a certain amount. And you know, which, like all things, moderation. You know, obviously, don't go and take your shirt off and just sit in the hot sun all day. But go out and get some. Don't worry. You know, every time you go outside, don't worry about oh, do I need to cover up to protect myself from the sun? You know, there is health yeah. issues to it. Mac found a whole bunch of articles talking about how um, people with I, one of them, I think, mentions people with skin cancer generally don't have all the other kinds of cancer. Yeah, that minor cancers on yeah. the skin. Yeah, it actually seems to have a lower incidence of breast cancer, uh, colon cancer, and I think the other the one they mentioned was uh, prostate cancer. Yeah. Um, you know, this research is all. I, I gotta say, I mean, it, it's very, it's very interesting, and and certainly, I mean, and I'm glad it's being done. But it's still, I think, kind of young. I mean, it is vitamin D is well, it's, one of the, is it's one of baby the, steps, right? And of course, we call it vitamin D, but it's really not a vitamin. And I think we have an article that talks about what it, um, what it is. Vitamin because D our, is a sac, uh, what they call vitamin D is actually produced in the body with exposure to UVB, ultraviolet ray B. Right. Um, I know this because my wife and I used to have iguanas as pets. And if you want to have iguanas for any length of time, you need to learn a lot about them right off the bat. Yeah. One of the things is that iguanas require sunlight, natural sunlight, in order to be able to properly digest the calcium that they need in their diet because they need the calcium in their blood as much as they need it in their bones. Um, the artificial vitamin D that they will usually put in calcium supplements, vitamin D3, will actually cause the iguana's calcium to go to the bones and can actually cause them to seize because the the calcium drains out of their blood and goes to the bones. Interesting. Um, and th- we have the same thing. It's actually every creature, every creature on Earth pretty much has the same kind of reaction if it's got a skeleton. Hmm. But, uh, yeah. you know, iguanas have that extreme example, and yeah. we learned it that way. Vitamin D is one of the few supplements that they actually recommend um, supplementing. I mean, it's it's one of the – I mean, there are, there is a very small handful of vitamins that um, supplements are recommended of, and vitamin D is one of it, which is why we see, you know, vitamin D-enriched milk. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also a test that's a, cl- a clinical trial that a doctor's doing right now where she's got – 
breast cancer cells in a Petri dish. She hasn't gone to live trials yet, but she's got breast cancer cells that she's been growing in a Petri dish, and she's been applying vitamin D to them, and the cancer cells shrink under the influence of vitamin D. That's, I think that that's really interesting. And there does seem to be a lot. That cancer does seem to be picking up more and more, and we are spending more and more time inside as a society and not getting out as much as we should. You know, yeah. I'd like to see the numbers on that. You know, exactly how you know if cancer really is rising that fast within our population compared to you know populations that spend time more time outside. What I think we need is a computer monitor that emits ultraviolet B. All right. <laughs> or, or yeah, I think I'd rather yeah. get outside more myself. Well, it would have to. Yeah, yeah. You get a sunburn sitting in front of the uh, in front of the monitor. <laughs> I think I can tune it down to a light tan. <laughs> we know what you were doing while you were sitting in front of your computer. How else yep, did you get a no sunburn there? Okay. Oh, man. All right. Anything else we want to say? I mean, we, you've got four articles here. What else do you want to um, – is, is there anything else you want to cover? Uh, I think that we've covered the main points on this. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, the articles are good reading. They were all very interesting. But we can move on to bullshit health news. Oh, yes. I, I am this, – this article just irritated me. And I kind of I, I kind of want to go through it point by point here. So this person, they, they start off, um, I've been studying nutrition and supplements – in a serious way for almost nine years, I promptly, or I probably, was it probably read the articles, take notes, and post into my LJ blog about 30 hours a week. I can say that I know vastly more than any doctor nurse I have ever met in person, and and the was breadth of my knowledge is far broader than most health experts I read online. So. He starts out trying to establish himself as some sort of expert. He's been he's been re, he's been reading articles for nine years, and somehow this makes him qualified to really understand this. And and certainly, I mean, putting that much time into something, you you should gain a lot of knowledge. Yeah, but who who qualified him as an expert besides himself? Well, no one. And that's thing. I don't think he, it quite works that way. I don't think you get to say, "Hey, I've decided I'm an expert." He. It doesn't sound like he's ever written a peer-reviewed article. It doesn't sound like you know from from the beginning here. It doesn't sound like he's reading clinical trials. And and even if he did, would he have the know-how to parse them properly and understand what the clinical trial is saying? Has he ever cut up a cadaver? I, I have no idea. I mean, so, and we don't know what his, what his, what his, you know, what he normally does for a living. Um, and, but here's the thing. I mean, there are a lot of things that you can learn about, you know, and you can probably make some, some pretty good guesses about you know, certain nutritional things. And there's good information online if you're looking at it. But, man, it, it would be hard for me to consider anybody an expert in the field if, you know, if this is their education. Yeah. The, uh, and to claim yourself to be smarter than most of the um, doctors out there, yeah, that's a bit pompous. <laughs> well, and the other thing is that reading a lot of, or reading a lot of these articles may give you some information 
nutrition, but it doesn't often talk about the mechanisms that make that kind of stuff work that a nutritionist or a doctor might understand. Now, as a surprise, we're combining this section this week with our guest the logical fallacy segment. Yeah, we are. And what would you like to guess for the fallacy in the first in the first paragraph? The first paragraph. Read? Is that be the pompous asshole as a fallacy? <laughs> um, there should be, but no, not in this case. But not in this case. <laughs> Well, he's what he's claiming he's got far more knowledge than everybody else. He's he's setting himself up as an expert, but yet providing no actual data that would that would lead me to believe he is his expert. He gives some numbers. Um, he gives numbers about what he does, right? But I'll tell you what. I mean, I I I have you know taken a lot of dumps in my life, and I, and I've talked about earlier my 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 poop fetish. I'm not an expert at this time on poop with as many dumps as I've taken. <laughs> yeah, and with how many diapers you've changed. Exactly. I am no poop expert. That's yeah. all I'm saying. <laughs> so I don't know. What is the logical fallacy here? Because I'm not getting it. I'm actually going with slippery slope on this Slippery one. slope? Basically, he starts off with a point. He has been studying nutrition and supplements for nine years. He reads articles, takes notes, and posts into his live journal blog for 30-plus hours a week. And from that point, he's taking a new point, which is that he knows more than any doctor or nurse he has ever met. Well, okay. and the breadth of his knowledge is far broader than most of the health, health experts he's read online. How so I think that? that I'm thinking that's a slippery slope because okay. he starts with one point and just kind of keeps taking it downhill. All right. Okay. So he moves on. One of the major things I've noticed is that many of the most verbal health experts, be they MDs in the field, writing in newspapers, websites like WebMD, etc., are about 30 years behind the current research. So now he's going to talk about research and that these people writing, I mean, and I've read when it, WebMD, a lot of them, they, they refer to clinical trials and, and, and sometimes you can get some good information there. But to say that they're 30 years behind the time, I mean, is he reading more current research than, than the people writing on these things? I, I find that hard to believe. Thirty, it's just, But he does spend 30 hours plus a week writing about it. And these people are 30 years behind the time, behind the current research. Interesting. And he's only been studying for nine years. Yeah, he's only, yeah. A lot of people go to school for nine years. We call them doctors. Oh, yeah. Well, this isn't really school. It's just a hobby he's had for nine years, yet everyone else is 30 years behind when he's, you know, only been working at it for nine years. So, well, okay. I've been breathing for 42 years. But I'm not going to call myself a respiratory expert. Okay, so what's the logical fallacy here? Um, logical fallacy on this. Most he, I mean, I, to, to me, this is this, kind of a, a straw man. I'm kind of thinking straw man, but I'm also kind of thinking red herring on this. Okay. Um, no, I think you, I think you're right on this straw man, just simply because of. He's building something up to take it down. Right. And so he's building these people up that are these experts, and he's building them up as being 30 years behind the curve. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering, though, we've seen the number 30 appear twice in the article so far. Right. I'm kind of wondering what his fixation with the number 30 is. And, and it comes up again, as you pointed out, or when we were uh, talking before we got started. It comes here. up again, yeah. yes. And so now here's where things really start to irritate. Some appear to be just plain ignorant but there is more to the story. Flawed research is being done. They promote and then promoted. For example, when they test the efficacy of vitamin C, they never use nearly enough of vitamin C. So the research is not all that impressive. 
This, this irritated me because this is just plain denialism. He's he's pointing out something that he feels is a flaw that they aren't putting enough in there, and completely discount, discounting the science that was done. You know, no matter the dose. And so he doesn't like the results of these clinical trials, and so they're saying he's saying they're all flawed for one reason: they aren't using high enough doses. I also kind of think that there's a false dilemma in there too. Um, nobody's really nobody's really debating saying that we don't need vitamin C. Right, but here's the thing: is that so we need so we do need some vitamin C, right? But we you know vitamin C is vital. We know that. Right, that's a well known fact. But what? But here's the thing: is that they they want to tell me that vitamin C is a cure for cancer that it, that'll make you it'll make you get no, better no. quicker. That's vitamin D. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which there's actual evidence to show that that might be the case. And in fact, vitamin C, um, in some of these clinical trials, has been shown to um to actually, if you take high doses of vitamin C, some cancers grow quicker. And I and and I and I was there was a, a, a clinical trial that suspected this might be because. Um, vitamin C is an excellent antioxidant, and that some of these free radicals may our body may be um, fighting off cancers free radicals, and so that was some very interesting research that was done. That's completely but being denied here. The article in this point it doesn't talk about what vitamin C is not what what the uh, what people are refuting vitamin C for. It just says that when they test the efficacy of vitamin C, they never use enough. So he doesn't actually make the point that it's in cancer research. He doesn't talk about what type of research at all. No, he doesn't. And I, hence, I'm seeing this as a false dilemma. Okay. And certainly we need vitamin C, but it hasn't been shown to help us, you know, get over colds quicker or anything like this that, that we see it promoted for. So, and so I, but my point here is that this was just plain denialism of the science that is being done. Because there is some excellent research that's been done in this area. He just didn't like it. Yes. There, there, this is good too. The drug industry does not want people to stop taking drugs because supplements work better with fewer side effects. And scientists have been known to fudge results because they were bought by drug companies. So well, he's appealing to big pharma. Oh, this is ad, this is ad hominem. Ad hominem. And um, – the first sentence, I'm curious to know if he actually read it over after he wrote it, because it doesn't say what he thinks it says. The drug industry does not want people to stop taking drugs because supplements work better with fewer side effects. Right. So he's tra- so he's implying that the reason the drug industry does not want people to stop taking drugs is because supplements work better. Right. And my point is here, who does he think's making the supplements? You know, it's it's not. They're made by elves. That's what uh-huh. they do when they're not making cookies. Because <laughs> right. supplements are natural, so they must be made by elves. Yeah, yeah well, um, so is hemlock. <laughs> I'm, I'm recalling the immortal words of Socrates, who said, "I drank what." <laughs> <laughs> I think we had this discussion in the last podcast too. Yeah. So natural does not mean good. This this is some that that, that is so irritating to me. Natural does not mean good. There's lots of things that are natural that are bad for us. Oh, yeah. I mean, cyanide, perfectly natural. Okay, let's look up this orthomolecular medicine he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, I think that this is basically a, a term for um, for alternative medicine. 
We're going to find out. Okay. But so, um, so I, I mean, I just want to the, – the thing here about – I mean, certainly, I mean, he, he's trying to say that the drug – that the make, people making these drugs don't want you to stop taking them because they're making money off them. But they're making money off the supplements too. Somebody has to make the supplements, and they're doing both. So – and they probably – Okay, hold on. Orthomolecular medicine doesn't have anything to do necessarily with natural supplements. Um what orthomolecular medicine is on the purest level is it's just simply putting the body back in balance. Okay. It's correcting imbalances and deficiency based on individual biochemistry, Use the substance, using substances natural to the body, such as vitamins, minerals, amino acids, trace elements, and fatty acids. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's talking about natural supplements. Okay. So he may be using that incorrectly. So he says, I used to think doctors were willfully ignorant of orthomolecular medicine. I still think many doctors are willfully ignorant, but now I know that the Medline refuses to index the Journal of Orthomolecular Medicine. I acknowledge that even doctors looking for alternatives to drugs and the drug companies want them to push off just can't find information on high doses of vitamin. Okay. This is this is another fad that's going on here recently is this high dosing of vitamins. Why don't you go high dose vitamin A for a while and when you get osteoporosis we'll talk. <laughs> I mean this is ridiculous. Not only are are we seeing that that high dosing of vitamins doesn't do anything, it can cause harm. It gets people I mean he's a, we're talking orthomolecular being putting everything in in harmony right essentially balancing everything and then right. you're going to kick that it that doesn't out. mean that high dose vitamins will do that either well here's my thing is that it's going to uh, if you're high dosing any vitamin it's obviously going to put that out of whack I mean, it's the opposite of, of what they're talking about. They're talking about right. taking these high doses of these vitamins that, that they don't know is safe, number one, because the studies haven't been properly done. But yet he, he accepts the evidence that, that they work, you know, from, from this journal. So, I don't know, this is the other thing. I mean, well-done clinical trials have not shown high dosing of vitamins to be effective, and it showed many of them to do harm, including vitamin C. So then he moves on. Doctors remove symptoms. They do not offer cause, nor do they offer cures. This is just blatantly untrue. Not only do a lot of times do they understand the cause of a lot of things that are going on, they offer cures for those things that they do know the cause, if they're available. There isn't a cause known for everything, and there isn't a cure for every symptom. But who is better to tell us what you know the cause and effect than somebody who's doing this kinds of research? And his example doesn't quite work. Talks yeah. about a friend who had a weight gain problem, and the doctor recommended removing her thyroid for it. The thyroid does a lot more than just weight. Uh, the, the, the doctor would not remove that if the only issue was she needed to lose some weight. There would be more going on before the doctor even considered doing it. And then, of course, the intestinal bypass surgery, that's truly elective. The person has to say, hey, that's what I want. No doctor can speculate and say, you know, I, I recommend you do that. So the, the, what she had done to her doesn't sound like um, the doctor saying, oh, this is what we're gonna do. we should do to deal with weight gain. It sounds like thyroid was probably there was a bigger thing to it there. And then the bypass surgery, she probably said, hey, let's, I, I want that done. Sure. So he's trying to blame the doctor for that stuff. As if, you know, the, but if you look at neither of those things, 
makes sense to be part of the pro- the problem with what he's right. referring to. Well, in my I, my note here, I put just a story without context. Yeah, I mean, the, the, we 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 know nothing about where this is coming from. Yeah. Well, he's also saying in the next paragraph that she has cascading health problems over the past thirty plus years. Yeah, there's that thirty. Uh, there's again. that thirty again, but. It doesn't say whether the cascading health problems were before she had her thyroid removed, after her thyroid was removed, or the intestinal bypass surgery caused it. And intestinal bypass surgery yeah. is known to cause a number of health problems. But also, the, the, the bypass surgery is fairly new, isn't it? It is I'd fairly new. I'd be surprised new. if that's 30 years old. So if she's been having the problems for over 30 years, I, it sounds like she's had the problems before that surgery even really came into um, being done. Well, it sounds like she had the weight problem. I, I read this as she had the weight problem for over 30 years, and she was these are what the things that she was doing trying to try to deal with it. Yeah. So but still, it, it, it seems like he's trying to, the, the second paragraph, relate her health problems to the doctor's um, surgery. And yet... Like I said, the bypass surgery, that stuff hasn't been around for 30 years. So she's had the health problems before all the surgeries were going on anyways. I'm going to introduce a new term now, which I just found. Okay. Shotgun argumentation. (laughs) Is that what this is? There's a lot of this here. And uh, when you've got somebody who seems to be kind of a conspiracy theorist, as this person is, the the main things they'll try to use will be red herrings and... Um, the shotgun argumentation is a big one. Red herrings and ad hominem, though, um, yeah. and appeal to appeal to uh, appeal to popularity or bandwagon fallacy, also. But basically, a lot of what's going on here is this person is appealing to views that everybody has about doctors and scientists. They're on the take. They don't know as much as they they, they seem to know. Um, they're just guessing at it. It's appealing to popular views. Right. Um, but. The shotgun argumentation is the is the practice of throwing all kinds of different arguments at something, hoping one sticks. Yeah. So, so what? Basically, throw as much at the wall as you can. Pretty much. Okay. All right. So here's another. This one is an ad hominem. The allopathy health industry is pig ignorant of cause and health. There is a danger in going to the doctor for a problem. Okay. I just covered this. Talking to, and the, there is a bigger risk in not going to the doctor if you have a problem. This this appeals to what people's um inner um I don't know what what do I want to say? I mean it appeals to their I don't know. It's like the doctors are willfully killing people. Like that like the, the you you go in there and they're and they're just randomly treating people with with you know and they're completely ignorant and they're just trying to get people out of their office. Well, they they may actually be willfully killing people because that's how they get cadavers, and that's how they feed the robots. We'll be talking later on. <laughs> no, I don't actually believe that. Here, the problem is, is that I mean, doctors do not have the um, respect that they used to, and probably that they deserve. You know, they they've kind of been you know their um, their status has been demoted in in our uh, in our society from where it once was, and some of that may be. Um, appropriate, but but not to the extent that these people are talking about. I mean, certainly they can't know everything, and they're doing the best that they can. And if and if you don't feel your doctor is getting you the information you need, that's why there's another doctor out there. There's specialists out there. You can find somebody who is more likely to have that information, but you may have to go find a new doctor. We have a lot of doctors that are general practitioners, and to expect them to have every answer is ridiculous. Oh yeah. Well, it is true though that doctors have declined in status. Um, you know, 
40, 30 years ago, every mother wanted their daughter to marry a doctor. Um, doctors could walk into a barber shop and get a free haircut because they were a doctor. In a restaurant, if somebody was, you know, somebody had a problem, they'd call out, is there a doctor in the house? And that doctor would be hailed as a hero just for simply standing up. Now, doctors tend to get a bad rap, and a lot of it is because of what the health industry has done in terms of costs. People have gotten, people have gotten jaded about how they think of doctors. They've gotten a bad feeling about doctors because doctors charge such and such an amount, but doctors charge what they have to because of the general atmosphere of the industry. Right. Their pay has gone down. They don't make the money that they used to just for being a doctor. It's, no. It used to be, I think, that... They have that, to pay their malpractice insurance. Yeah. Oh, man, that's ridiculous. <laughs> That's um, definitely an issue, but they, it used to be something that people would get into because you know it was it was lucrative. It's not considered now, lucrative like now it every used mother to be. now every mother wants her daughter to marry a lawyer who sues doctors. There you go, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So now this this I thought was interesting. According to the Journal of American uh, Medical Association. Doctors are the third leading cause of death in the U.S., causing 250,000 deaths a year. I, I, I thought this was interesting. And, and I'm going to have to look that one up. Yeah, that this one, one sounds this, like a skewed statistic. Well, I, I looked I looked up like the CDC and that, and, and certainly if these numbers were right, it would be the third leading cause um, according to the CDC website. But they don't, of course don't list you know medical malpractice as a, as one of the as one of the causes of death. And it's interesting. I, I did briefly skim this article, and it deserves... Actually, it appears that stroke is the third leading cause of death in the United States. Right, but those numbers are still lower than 250,000. Those were 100 and some, right? And among 15 to 24 years old, suicide is the third leading cause of death. Well, that that could have been, you know, prompted by the doctor, too. <laughs> Well, it's not assisted suicide they're talking about. Well, no, it doesn't have to. I mean, you go in, your doctor tells you you're fat. What do you do? Let's see. I did find a couple of things that say doctors are the third leading cause of death uh, or medical care is the third leading cause of death. But frankly, the statistics that are being quoted honestly seem skewed. Um, Heart disease is the third leading cause of death among women. Yeah, so it's an interesting statistic, um, and I'm not sure how justified it is. Uh, it's an interesting article, but, you know, the issue that I that I have with this is are, are these directly doctor related, or um, you know, it's it's certainly something that should be looked at. It's an it's an, it's an interesting statistic. But how many lives did they save? It's got to be much higher than two hundred fifty thousand. I mean, how many how many of them did they did they um, prevent from uh, from getting heart attack or from from dying from heart attacks? Um, you know, how many people didn't die from stroke? I mean, th- those would be interesting numbers. You know, to to have as well um, to to kind of put this into perspective i mean certainly i mean you look at this this number and it's high and it certainly makes you you wonder what, what's going on um i'd certainly love to, to see where the numbers came from so this is the only part of the article that i actually found you know gave me pause that i, I needed to think about and something that i should that i wanted to look into further well it cuts down a little bit below to a teacher in the spiritual lineage i follow all you to ask, in times of difficult danger, whom do you place your trust? Right. And interesting question to put in here because it's another red herring. It's another. It's it's basically to distract from 
um, Ian, can you hear the me? The argument itself is kind of weak. Ian? And a you know personal little little yeah. thing I've got here. Oh, okay. Is it is it just Mac that's cutting in and out? They throw a. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, he, I'm they, throw myself. Up, they throw an abbreviation yeah. here. All right. You, so you cut out on me at the end there. So um, why don't you? Uh, what were Where we did saying? I cut out? Um, well, we were talking about the end there. You were moving on to um, to um, what he's talking about Obamacare and. Well, I I found a little personal thing in here. Um, if this person intends the article to be a scholarly work, they use the abbreviation OTOH, which means on the other hand, and that's a that's kind of a no no in terms of scholarly works. I don't. It's, I would. This is not a scholarly work. <laughs> well, it may be. It it seems to be intended to be a scholarly work. Though. Well, he should he should have and had, I, I would, had it reviewed. I'd recommend a composition class. <laughs> You know, it was it was interesting, and I think you were making some really good points um, about uh, about this quote. In times of difficulty and danger, in whom do we place our trust? And you were you were you were talking about that being another uh, red herring. I think it's a I think it's a red herring. Okay, I, it's it basically it it moves off of this it moves off the evidence that this person is trying to to sway people with, and it moves over to spiritual. And it immediately draws people's thoughts away from doctors and to where they place their trust, what they place the most trust in, with which a lot of people is going to be. Well, and the fact that it's a spiritual lineage that is being referenced, it, it seems that the person is basically saying, place your trust in God. Right. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've abused that article long enough. Yep. <laughs> Let's say goodbye to it. Say go with God. Don't take any wooden nickels and take it easy. There we go. All right. So... An asteroid wiped out the dinosaurs? Shocking. An asteroid did wipe out the dinosaurs. Um, they actually, I, the, the thing I found interesting about this is they, they've pretty much concluded that they, that not only did it wasn't an asteroid collision with Earth, but they know that the crater was actually, that the crater is actually in Mexico from that asteroid. Right. And they've been talking about this for a while. And, it, and it's been um, pretty, it, it definitely got a lot of people. Upset. Although I think that they're not looking at the actual cause of the, of the dinosaur death and the uh, the asteroid hitting the Earth in the first place, the uh, it was an evolution issue. The dinosaurs had not evolved any asteroid defense like Bruce Willis. So, appeal to shitty movie. Appeal to shitty movie. Yes. <laughs> uh, I know that was a total setup. That worked much better the first time we went over this. It did. <laughs> The setup was much cleaner. Yeah, I, I have that on. T I actually recorded that. I, I may I may have to plug that in here. <laughs> All right. So so they're looking at the 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 KT boundary, and and they finally of what they they now feel like they have enough evidence to finally the you know to to close the door on this one and say it was an asteroid. They feel like they have enough evidence to close the door on it. Yes. Okay. I'm going to have to watch that video later. Mexican police turned to voodoo. Not for tonight, but I'll be bringing it up later on. All right. After I've had a Next week. <laughs> okay. Turned to voodoo. Well, even our police use voodoo. I mean, they're still, I mean, occasionally they're still using psychics to lead them in the wrong direction on murder cases. That's not voodoo. Get your terms right. It's quackery. Close enough. <laughs> it's close enough. You're painting them with the same brush. Well, I had to. I couldn't get it clean enough, so... <laughs> What, you know, once you paint, you know, uh, um, some woo with a brush, hey, that brush is just tainted forever. I know. It's difficult to get that woo off of there. Yeah, I hate to get woo on my brush. 
articles on how to remove woo stains will be in the next. <laughs> woo stains? Uh, wait, wait, wait. Can can you get woo stains out of a out of a wedding dress? <laughs> okay. Oh, that you know that's an old George Carlin joke. He ever talk about? He talked about taking a wedding dress into a cleaners and say, "Can you get pecker tracks out of a wedding dress?" <laughs> all right, but I think we I think we can also put that, that dinosaur story to bed because the main thing you wanted was the setup. Okay. What are scientists um, going gaga over? What, what scientists it? gaga, yes. Oh, yes, this is, yeah, this you know, is one neat. of those things that really makes you feel more confident about um, there being life out there. Because here on Earth, they found life under 600 feet, right? Yeah, 600 feet of ice. 600 feet of ice where, you know, there's no sunlight. And what they um, found was a type of shrimp. Well, shrimp okay, it's a shrimp-like creature, and it's probably related to a shrimp, but they, they're yeah. actually not. They're, they're calling it shrimp-like. Um, it's not actually a shrimp. Right. It is three but, inches. It's probably tasty. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. But anyways, basically what it's showing is there's some kind of ecosystem that has to be down there. And that's incredible because obviously it, it's one of these things where we don't expect there to be any life because – it's so in, um, well, hospitable to what we okay. Are. We we wouldn't. We, here's the thing: is that well, we might not have been surprised to find microbial life, single-celled right. organism life. It's the fact that we found a complex organism that's so surprising yeah. here because there's, there's definitely the shrimp down there, and then it looks like there's some form of jellyfish there as well. Yeah, because they found a tentacle from that jellyfish. Yeah. So if you've got prey and you've got predator. You've also got to have something for that prey to feed off of. So you have to have an ecosystem down yeah. there. Yeah. It has to be something. And like I said, that's just incredible because even the article they mentioned Europa, a moon of Jupiter that the Europa. pretty sure has water on it. Yeah. If, if you know, there's life here under 600 feet of ice, could there be life on Europa? Europa. You know, Enceladus is another place. Triton yeah, uh, is other, another place. Other moons in our system that are very similar to Antarctic um conditions could there be life there now you know it's much more likely if uh, if an ecosystem can exist here on earth under 600 feet of ice we know that that means an ecosystem can exist out on these moons that we've been studying because they have water and ice on them so this might not be an ecosystem though no this might not be an ecosystem this might be an ecosystem because you know that hole is 600 feet deep it's got to echo somehow it's filled with water (sighs) The only thing echoing down there is sonar. Whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but th- that's interesting because not only did they find life, they found complex life. So you're so you're absolutely right. So that that you know that the idea of there being more complex life on on you know Europa is uh, is much more possible after this finding. Pretty interesting. And the uh, the evidence that there or the the inference is coming from the fact that it's it's very unlikely that. These two creatures swam some great from some great distance away to appear in this eight-inch hole at the time that they were taking a sample. <laughs> right. They have to be common enough down there that they would be in that sample. Sure. All right. So, are robots going to eat corpses? Robots do eat corpses. 